We're going to study tonight several chuvos and other rabbinic correspondence on the subject of Birchas HaGomel. The first several letters we're going to read are not exactly chuvos. They're a rabbinic correspondence between two rabbis of the 17th and 18th century, uh, a rather unusual correspondence, as we'll see. It's, they're more like personal correspondence than, than formal chuvos in the sense of uh, a questioner writing to a halakhic authority for an answer, but they are rabbinic correspondence, and afterward we'll get to some actual chuvos on the topic as well. The correspondence we're going to begin with is, is between, as I said, several chachamim of the 17th and 18th century. One of them is Rabbi Yitzchak Zerachia Azulai, or Raphael Yitzchak Zerachia Azulai. Raphael was apparently added as a Shem Choli when he was ill. Rabbi Yitzchak Zerachia Azulai was a member of the illustrious Svardik Rabbinic Azulai family. His son was perhaps the most famous member of the family, the Chida. The Chida stands for Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai. This is his father, Rabbi Rafael Yitzchak Zrachi Azulai. The other participant in the exchange was a Svardik Chacham, a less well-known Chacham name, Rav Eliezer Nachum. I get the impression that Nachum here was a last name. As we've mentioned in the past, the Svardim used various names that Ashkenazim use largely as first names. Uh, they use them as family names as well, like names like Yisrael and Ezra were often family names. I, I, it seems that Nachum was a family name here as well. And this Chacham's name was Eliezer Nachum. He was a, he was a teacher of the Chida. He was a Rebbe. And it, it's the Chida who records this correspondence in one of his many Svarim. The Chida wrote dozens of different Svarim, some better known than others. This, this correspondence he records in one of his Svarim called Machazik Bracha. It's a Sefer on Shulchan Aruch. His, his primary Sefer on Shulchan Aruch is called Birkei Yosef. But he also wrote something called Machzik Bracha, arranged al-pi Seder Shulchan Aruch, and this correspondence he, he records in his Sefer, Machzik Bracha, on Archaim Simon Reish Yotes, that is the Simon of Birchas And with that, with, with that basic introduction, I'll let him give the rest of the context. He writes, Reisi lichto vikuach katzer. I have seen fit, he says, to, to write down here a brief debate from Harav HaMuvak, Marenu, Mark Shisha, Nachum, the Colonel of Racha on the one hand, my teacher, the senior Chacham, Rabbi Eliezer Nachum, Im, his debate was with Ateris Roshi, Abba Mari, the Colonel of Racha, Al Maba. He had a debate with my father, Abba Mari, Leo's Dovibs of Sayim, in order that their, their words, they were both uh, departed at this point, but there's a principle in rabbinic literature that when we study the Torah of people who are departed, it's as though they're still speaking from the grave, their, their Torah is still being studied, it's as though they're still talking. And he begins, my father. The, the correspondence begins with a letter by Rebeliezer Nachum. So, so Rebeliezer Nachum was born in the year Tafchaf Beis, that's the year 1662, Wikipedia tells us, and he died in Tafkofe, he died in 1744. The Chida's father, Rabbi Rafael Yitzchak Zerachia, was born in 1701, so he was born, so, so, so he was born about 40 years later, so he, he was somewhat younger, but, uh, but, but he, and he lived longer, he died in 1765, 
So he was born uh, nearly 40 years later. He, he, died 20, he died 20 years later. So he was uh, a, younger, a younger, somewhat contemporary of, the, of this Rebbe Eliezer, Eliezer Nachum. So the correspondence begins with this, uh, this senior Rebbe Eliezer Nachum writing a letter to, the, to, Rabbi, to Rebbe Yitzchak Zerach Yazulai. He says that he was much younger than him, apparently, if, if these dates are correct. He was writing to he, he, he was writing to someone who was who was uh, nearly forty years his junior, but they were they were colleagues they they, they were colleagues they they, they were uh, they, they they were on the basement together apparently, and uh, so he was a much younger colleague. So the the senior Rabbi Eliezer Nachum wrote him the following letter: Baha Chalom and Rovinian. The letter is full of melitza, full of rabbinic, uh, rabbinic uh, flourishes and stylistic, uh, stylistic twists. But Bahachalom and Rovinian, I had an interesting dream. He says a, a, a dream full of, uh, uh, full of interesting content. Bahachalomi, in my dream, I saw as follows. He says, "In my dream, I dreamed I was talking to you. I, I saw you standing before me." And I asked you a question. I asked, I asked Rav Azulai a question. Uh, I asked him about Yitzchak Avinu, our ancestor Yitzchak Avinu, when he was Kishanitzel Mehakeda. He was saved from being sacrificed and killed at the, at the Akeda and Har Maria. Birik Birchsagomel. Did he did he recite Birchsagomel? He was saved from a very dangerous situation. Tabolidesakana. Because after all, he had been in danger and he was saved. Olo, or did he not say Berach Sagoma? Similar question. There's a famous Haggadah in the Talmud. There were four people who entered Pardes. Pardes is some kind of mystic location, full of full of holiness and uh, potentially great achievements in in in, in ruchnias and spirituality, but also a place of great danger. Pardes is Makom Shechina. The Talmud relates that of the four people who entered, they met four different fates. Four great Tanoim, they met four different fates. One of them died. One of them was Nifka. One of them somehow came out damaged. Rabbi Kiva was Yatza B'Shalom. Of the four, Rabbi Kiva was Yatza B'Shalom. But two others met with uh, serious negative fates. Imkain Rabbi Kiva, Shiyatza B'Shalom. Did he recite the Berich Sagomel on surviving the Pardes experience? Third question, third variation of the question. Kohen Gadol, every year in Yom Kippur, would enter the, as we discuss at length on the, in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, as we read about in Pasha Zachremos, Masechus Yoma, he would enter Lefnai Lefnim, he would enter the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Shumakim Sakana, it was a very dangerous place, they often died there. They warned him, you have to be good here, it's a very, very dangerous place. Because of the holiness, it was, it was really dangerous. But say so, Shalom and Hakodesh. So when the Kohen Gadol would have the good fortune of surviving, and he emerged unscathed, would he recite Berchsa Gomel or not? Says Rabbi Eliezer Nachum, These are the questions I posed to you in my dream. In my dream, I you didn't answer me anything. I, I received no answer. I asked the questions and I received no answer. Now that I'm awake, he says, Therefore, I'm turning to you. I'm writing these questions to you to give you a chance to answer in the waking world. So basically, Rabbi Eliezer Nachum says, I had a dream 
in which I posed this question to you, this basic question, if someone, if someone did a, uh, had a great spiritual experience, a great experience of mitzvah, which involved danger, and he survived, does he recite Birch Gomel upon surviving these experiences? Okay, that was the question. So, so th- th- this seems like a pretty uh, esoteric, a pretty theoretical case, as we'll see in the ensuing analysis. The, the analysis is quite interesting, uh, but it, the analysis also has practical implications as well. Some of the points mentioned in, in, this, in this debate are going to be brought by later poskim and, and have important, um, some potentially important implications for the halachas of Birch so again, the Chida, who's reporting this correspondence, he turns now to the second letter in the in the in the correspondence. V'zasher Heshivo Ateres Roshi. Not sure what the, those those next acronyms stand for. He used them before as well. Aleph Mem probably stands for Avi Mori. I'm not sure what the rest of the letters stand for. So V'zasher Heshivo Ateres Roshi, my father. This is the letter that he that he replied to Rabbi Eliezer Nachum. So this is now Rabbi Rabbi Rafal Yitzchok Zerachia Azulai is responding to. He begins with a bunch of rabbinic militza, noros, neflesi, mimasa, gechi, zayin, halaz. I am, uh, I am amazed at this wonderful uh, vision you had. I'm not sure I fully, I don't really fully, I don't fully understand all these militzas, but he says, I've, I've considered your question and I have, uh, I have, I have contemplated it in, in, in my waking, poster. And I, I see that, that your, dream, your dream may have been a communication from on high, which uh, surely has great wisdom, but it, it, it was, uh, it's, it's a mystery, it's, it's a riddle, an enigma. So we don't have a solution. We, there's no answer present in your riddle. Alkane, yet you'll have him in a head yote. I, plain old mortal me, I am going to take a crack at answering the questions that you say were, that, that you tell me were posed to me in the dream. I think, says Rabbi Zulai, that you do not recite Birch Gomel on, on, on these events. The, these people that you asked about would not recite Birch Gomel for a variety of reasons. The first reason is perhaps the most uh, interesting and most uh, the, the signature reason in this correspondence. Says Rav Azulai, Ki me'olam lotokun Rabbanan levarek Birch Gomel shi Birch HaSodah. Birch Gomel, the Rabbanan established an obligation to recite Gomel. They only established it when someone finds himself through no deliberate course of action of his own, through no deliberate decision, he finds himself in danger, and a miracle happens and he is saved, like the four examples that Chazal said that a person recites Gomel for, Chaim is an acronym that the Rishonim give, Ches Yud Yud Mem, Chaim is an acronym for the four categories of people who the Talmud says need to recite Gomel. Ches stands for Chola, someone who is ill and recovers. Today we apply, we apply it today commonly to, uh, to women who give birth as well. So, someone who's ill and recovers. Hayir Adam Shiyachla, did a person become ill willingly? No, of course not. Nobody wants to get sick. Hare Pesapism, except maybe sometimes kids who want to uh, get off from school, but in general, nobody wants to get sick. Wasn't your decision? It was uh, something that befell you against your will, uh, through, through, not through your volition. It all happened to you uh, 
It all happened to you without your asking for it, and then you were healed. Chayav Levarech. That's Ches. Yud. Yud stands for Yisurin. The, the Gemara's example of Yisurin is someone who was captured by an enemy, was held prisoner, then was released, then, then, and, and then, then, then got his freedom back. So Yisurin. Gamkein Ba'in La'adam Balkarcho. He's not, you know, he's captured against his will. He, he suffered these afflictions against his will. And when he was saved, he has to say, third letter in Chaim, the Yud, the, the second Yud. Yordehayam, those who are seafarers, those who take sea voyages. That sounds like something which actually is in your control. You generally choose to uh, buy a ticket and board a ship. Nevertheless, he says, that's not really an act of volition. You have to cross the sea, you have business. Again, later post are going to discuss whether it's uh, whether it doesn't matter if it's business or leisure. You, do you have an option? Don't you have an option? So he kind of glosses over this, but he says, Yardehayam, seafarers are considered, they had no choice. They have to get from point A to point B, and sometimes that involves taking a sea voyage. Again, Holchem and Baros, they usually have a choice whether to embark on a voyage across the desert. But in practice, he says, realistically, they have no choice. They have a destination. They have to go somewhere. Again, not everyone has to go places. People go on road trips. People go. People people engage in leisure as well. Okay, but he says he he, he just assumes that these cases also can be understood as involuntary. So he says these four are all cases where the person didn't court the danger. The person the danger either befell him completely without any volitional act of his part, or at least he just was forced to do something for some practical purpose, and he found himself in danger. These are the cases where a person has to recite Gomel. Something which a person does at the orders of God. Either deliberate orders, like the Akedah, where Hashem said, sacrifice your son, even if it's not a specific command from God to do this, to enter, to enter into a dangerous situation. The general, the general word of God, Hashem wants us in general to in everything we do, to, to, to do the will of God, sometimes it involves danger. In such cases, even if a person does merit a nace, he doesn't make a bracha. Not so clear what his distinction is. Whether his, whether his as we'll see, some poskim understand, many poskim seem to understand what he means to say, the ikar chilik he's making is between volition and, and, uh, and, 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 and involuntary, that gomel you, only, gomel you only recite for situations you found yourself involuntarily, not for those that you deliberately accepted on yourself, if we read the language, it sounds like he's focusing more on the fact that there was a religious or spiritual component to it. I'm not sure exactly which is the Ikar point he's making, but, but in any event, he says, if it is B'mamar Tzivay Hashem Lasoso, or just for the general purpose of M'kad Hashem Shemayim, then you don't make a Gomel. Therefore, in all your cases, he says, that's my first reason why there's no Gomel, because they were all doing this not out of necessity, but out of a desire to serve God and to obey his and to obey his commands. Since the whole thing was in response to a demand of God, God had demanded that Abraham sacrifice his son, therefore there is no Gomel, because it was all the Mamaro and there's no Gomel. He goes on, I don't have this bit in the handout, but he, he goes on and he says that 
He says, why are you asking? He says, why did you ask specifically about Yitzchak? He says, he says, he says, uh, he says, why, why did you ask him about Yitzchak? He says, ask him about Avram, we're saved from our casting, we're thrown into a furnace. Moshe Rabbeinu, he went up to Shemayim, and Malachim wanted to harm him, it says, it says in the Midrash, Hanani Mishal Bazaria, that they were uh, thrown into a flaming furnace. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. You asked me about all those where they benched Gomel when they were saved, when they were saved from all those, uh, saved from all those, mis- all those misfortunes. So, Elihu Adavar Shedibarti says, that's the, that's what I'm telling you, he says, this is obvious, this is clearly the reason when something comes from the word of God, like Akedah Yitzchak or Moshe going up to Shemayim, yes, even though it's true they were in danger and so on, he goes on at some length, he says that, he says this is the rule that anything that a person does as part of his service of God, he voluntarily accepts. He voluntarily accepts upon himself to enter a dangerous situation. He does not recite Birch Gomel. It's only the mundane things that you find yourself in against your will, you recite Gomel. Anything you do deliberately, voluntarily, out of a religious obligation, you don't have Birch Gomel. Then he brings uh, several other arguments why, for some or all these cases, that you would. This is a, this, as I said, th- this is the most I think often quoted aspect of this correspondence that Gomel you only recite. Uh, we'll, we'll see some applications of this soon, but that uh, one at least one application of this soon that Gomel you only recite on involuntary circumstances where you, where you have no practical choice, but you, but you, but you, but but you don't recite Gomel when you choose to do something out of a sense of religious obligation. Now he brings a few other arguments. He says that, he says that according to one Midrash, according to a Midrash, Yitzchak actually died at the Akedah, and, and he was resuscitated and brought back to life. He says his life returned when, 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 when he heard the, 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 the heavenly voice saying, Yitzchak, Yitzchak, uh, originally he was just terrified of dying, and he actually died, and, and, and he came back to life came back to life when, uh, when, when he heard the reassuring Al Tishlach Yadcha El So he says, so since, the, since he died, you don't say Gomel. You only say Gomel when you survive, when you don't die. If you die and are brought back to life, he says, uh, you, you would not say Gomel, he claims. Um, the Arba Nechazul Pardes, the story of the four people who enter, who had this mystical experience in Pardes, this, dang- this very dangerous mystical experience, a great reward, but great risk as well, Whatever happened in that Pardes, it is not a literal story, he says. Pardes is not a physical, geographical location that you walk in on, on your, with your locomotive power, he says. He says, It's a meditative experience, a contemplative experience. You think deep thoughts, deep spiritual thoughts, and you, you contemplate the, some great theological mysteries, he says. All the Mefarshim, Kamayu, Vasrei, Kach, Prashu. Pardes is not a literal location, a physical location that you enter, he says. It's, it's something that happens. It's an internal experience, like the Tvunos and Machshavos and Isbodidus. He says, um, he says, so since, since that's the case, he brings numerous, numerous sources that understand the story this way. Since it's not a physical experience, it's not a literal experience, he says, Hanimsa Kazel, Avarach, Gomla, Machshav, Isbodidus. How can you say Gomel on, a, uh, on, a, on an experience which is entirely inside your own mind? It's an entirely internal, internal, inward experience, he says. He thinks, Rabbi Zulai thinks, it's obvious, he says, that you would not say Gomel on such an experience. The Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol and, and, and surviving the Kodesh he says, 
he says, so, so, so first of all, he says again, he's doing it based on the Dvar Hashem. He says he's not going to say Gomel. He says also, it's up to you, he says. If, if you're a tzaddik, if you have, Hashem is not going to kill you for no reason. If you're a tzaddik and kosher, there's no shakana, he says. Uh, a holy place, a holy person, there's no shakana. And uh, <coughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't really in danger. If, 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 he, if he was taka tzaddik, he was never really in any danger. It's not a, <coughs> a, a, if a person was, a person was a rasha, he'll die. If he's a tzaddik, he'll live. It's not like uh, <coughs> an ordinary event where you, you, even if you, you know what you are, you don't know how it'll end up. The Kohen couldn't know how it would end up. I, I would assume that the Rishon who went in you know, didn't really know what would happen because they, if they knew they were going to die, they, they wouldn't have gone in. But the Tzadikim, I guess, you know, they, they, they knew the rules. They, they knew they were Tzadikim, apparently, he understands. And it's up to you. You're not really in any danger. Furthermore, now he moves away from all these esoteric points or somewhat moves away and goes back to some of the bread and butter halachas of Gomel. There's a major machlokas we shown him, whether, as, we, as we've mentioned earlier, the Talmud says there are four categories of people who recite the Gomel blessing. The, the Chaim, the Chola, and some, someone who's ill and recovers, Yisurin, someone who's captured and suffers, Yorde Hayam, seafarers who survive the voyage, and Mahalche, uh, and Holchem um, Midbaros, Midbar, they, they survive a desert trip, Rambam says any trip, but the even not a midbar. So he says, well, this is a major machlokas, whether the, this list of four cases is exhaustive, only these four, or whether these are just examples and it applies to any type of event. So he says that there are opinions, he says, many posts, there are, there are opinions in the post game that it's only these four. Other, other situations, not. And he says, there are some Rishonim, the Rivash, and the Riaz, that say that these are examples, these are paradigms, but any dangerous situation gets Gomel. Shulchan Aruch brings that opinion as well. He said the Shulchan Aruch brings that, but he says, even according to those opinions, he says that the, 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 the broader opinion that says that any, any dangerous occurrence, again, he says, that's only things that are shriach and that happen to you again, that are not in your control. Again, he says, but something that you accept on yourself as a spiritual, out of a spiritual duty, a spiritual uh, mandate. Again, you don't bench Gomel, he says, and here he throws in another svar, he says, because the, the, the brach of Gomel is that you're thanking Hashem for having survived. It actually said you'd be better off, he says, had you died. Had, had you died al-Kiddush Hashem, that would be a, uh, your setup for life, life in the world to come. I'm not sure how this works. I mean, even at the Akedah, we do find that they, that, uh, that they prayed for Yitzchak's life. We, we, say in, we say in Slichos, we say in Slichos, we say in one of the ancient Slichos, we say... We say that Avram prayed at that kedah that it shouldn't be his son. And Yitzchak, we said that there was tefillah involved, that there were tefillahs involved, that they shouldn't die. So a person has to, sometimes has to be willing to emotion nefesh, but we, but we we're not a death cult. We don't pray for death, even though we believe that if someone dies, Al Kiddush Hashem, he'll be rewarded for it. That's not what we look for. So to say that you don't bench Gomel because, I guess he's saying somehow since that's not uh, such a bad fate. Somehow he feels that you would not bench Gomel because that would be uh, rather a good outcome as well. An, an interesting argument. Anyway, these were the arguments of Rabbi Avram Azulai. His first argument is that you only say Gomel for things that are involuntary, that befall you against your will, not for things that you deliberately accept. That seems to be his main argument, not things that you accept out of a religious mandate. Then he brings other svaras, that the story of the Arbad Nechazul Pardes was not a literal story, it was, a, it was an internal, contemplative experience. 
and Yitzchak may have actually died, and others, and maybe the list, uh, maybe the list of the Gomel reciters is exhaustive. It doesn't include these cases. Okay, so that was the that was the second letter in the series. That was the letter of Rabbi Avraham Azulai. Now the third letter of the Chida reports. The third letter was was was, a, was the final letter in the series was written by was written again by Rabbi Eliezer Nachum, the original one who had the dream, back to Rabbi Avraham Azulai rebutting a number of the points he made. Anochi Haroah, he says, Anochi Haroah, Kol Ha'amur B'Pashor, Kvar Itmar B'Medrasha, Huva B'Yalkud, Hol Utchilas, he discusses the, the Medrasha about the Akedah, he discusses the, he discusses the, medrashim, the various Medrasha about the Akedah, and he says, good, but at the end of the day, he, he, as I mentioned, he brings out that we needed Rachelim, he says, the Malachi Ashari said, you Hashem, you're called Racham V'chanan, you should have Rachmanus on Yitzchak, at the end of the day, he was Tarek Rachamim, he says. And once, uh, once Hashem ex- granted Rachmanus and he accepted the Ayel, the Ram, instead of Yitzchak, Pshita, he says, that, the, that, that, that Yitzchak would have given Shevach Vahodah for the Rachamim he got. The Trudishal Mikra. He says, uh, and to, He says, You, Rabbi Azulai, you asked me, you, know, why, you, you asked me, why did I ask you about Yitzchak at Akeda? I should have asked you about. I should have asked you about Avram and Orkastim and Moshe when he went to Arsinai and Daniel and Chanani Mishal Bazaria. He says, why are you asking me? I wasn't the one who asked you this question, he said. This was a dream I had, he says. This is the Balachalom, the, 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 the agent and responsible for dreams, he says. Go ask him. I didn't make up this dream, he says. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is my dream. You can't ask me why I dreamed this. Ask the Balachalom. Ask the, ask the power that's in charge of dreams why... So the interesting Machlokas, apparently, the Rabbi Azulai apparently felt that Rabbi Yezer Nachum owned his dreams and was responsible for his dreams, while Rav Nachum felt, it's not my dream, it's a Balachalam, I'm just, I'm just recording it, he said, it's not me, I'm just telling you what I saw in my dream. Anyway, Upshita, he says, Rabbi Yezer Nachum says, Pshita, Shavram Avinu Elof HaShalom, Kishanitzel Mekiv Shoneish, Birech Lo Yisbarach. Of course he made a bracha, he gave a bracha of thanks to Hashem for saving him from the flaming furnace. Maybe he said, Magin Avram, we say every day in Shmon Esrei, three times a day, we say Magin Avram, the end of the first bracha in Shmon Esrei. Maybe that's the bracha that he made. Hashem protects Avram, who protected him from Orkastim. The, because, uh, because we find, today we have a standard Nusach Shmon Esrei. Before the Anshik Nesekdola, before the men of the Great Assembly who instituted the standard text that we have, everyone would compose his own prayers. And, and the... And today we say Gomel. Today the bracha we made is, is Gomel. Today they standardize the Neschos. Avram could have said any Neschos of the bracha. Maybe he said Magen Avram. Moshe Rabbeinu, we find Midrashim. The Moshe Rabbeinu also said certain, certain chapters of Tehillim, of praise to Hashem for, for saving him from danger. See, they did make brachas. Daniel, Daniel was saved from the lion. Pshita that he gave Shvach and Hoda to Hashem. Now, he says, well, you told me that about the four people who are Nicholas it's not a literal story of, uh, of a physical space on the world. Of course I know that, he says. Milo Yadda B'chalela. Of course, everyone understands that Pardes is not a, is not a physical geographic location. Ella, he says, everyone knows it's not an actual orchard somewhere. Literally, Pardes means an orchard or a garden. Of course, everyone knows it's not a place full of trees somewhere. We all understand that, that it's, a, it's a contemplative, meditative experience. At the end of the day, he says, so what? It doesn't matter. Whatever this meditative, meditative exercise was, whatever this contemplation they were doing was, it was clearly dangerous because one of them died. One of them ended up uh, damaged. So whatever they were doing, 
whether it was physical or, or inward focused, whatever it was, it was clearly dangerous, he says. So once it was dangerous, who cares whether it's dangerous because of a physical location or dangerous because of internal contemplation. So what, he says? Obviously, you need a bracha, he says. Flogara from the... We wake a bracha every morning. We say, Because sleep is like a... Is like a, a, a pale version of death, even though it's not. Even though you're not physically going someplace dangerous, you had a dangerous experience where you were. He says, the Kohen God. Well, of course, he made a bracha when he when when he when he when he got out of the kosher kedusha. Ask me my opinion. So Rabbi Eliezer Nachum, even though he asked the Rabbi Eliezer, what do you think? He clearly had opinions in all these cases. He asked him to test him or just to see what he would actually say. He clearly had his own opinion. So while Rabbi Eliezer marshaled a number of arguments why there should not be gummel in these experiences. Rabbi Eliezer Nachum did not agree. He doesn't directly respond to the first one, that the, the voluntary-involuntary thing, but many of the other arguments he shoots down. He says, uh, he says, you know, his last point, that it's machlokas, it's machlokas aposkim, whether you say gummel in anything, not in the, not in these four. Yeah, but at, the Balachalam was asking according to the Shulchan Aruch, who says that you do. You're right, there are other Rishonim who say differently, he says. But we're going according to the Shulchan Aruch. Okay, this is the machlokas that we have. For a variety of reasons, Rav Azulai felt that the people who underwent these great uh, religious, spiritual, miraculous experiences did not recite Gomel, whereas Rav Eliezer Nachum felt that they do. He disagreed with a number of his arguments. As I said, the, 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 most, the, the most discussed of these points in later postkim is the first point raised by Rav Azulai, the idea that when you have an experience that you choose because of religious reasons and you're saved, Rav Azulai felt, you do not recite Gomel. Rav Eliezer Nachum does not engage in that argument, so we don't know exactly what he felt about it, but, he doesn't, but he, he doesn't seem to feel it was a compelling argument because he seems to feel that these people did, did recite Gomel upon their religious, miraculous experiences. This, this Maxic Bracha, this, this, this correspondence is mentioned briefly in an interesting tshuva of the Minchas Yitzchak. Minchas Yitzchak is now a 20th century tshuva, in the 20th century, they invented airplanes, the, the age of flight. So, one of the most famous discussions of Gomel is whether one recites Gomel upon a, an airplane trip. Many postkim took all kinds of positions on this. There, there, there have been numerous, numerous different shuvas of the postkim for or against. Ramosha Feinstein had a famous sheet. Uh, many, many other postkim discuss it. There are various menhagim in, the, in, in, in play today. Most people, I think, do recite Gomel on an airplane trip, at least if it's a major trip, a transcontinental trip, over oceans, and so on. Ramosha seems to feel that you recite Gomel even on a local short hop airplane trip. I don't, I don't know if that's quite the practice today. Anyway, the, this, is, this is a very heavily discussed topic in the 20th century. We're not going to get into all the opinions, all the arguments for or against. But we're going to take a look at a tshuva of the Minchas Yitzchak, part of a tshuva of the Minchas Yitzchak, discussing whether to recite Gomel on an airplane flight. He writes... I think, he says, my, my impression is people do make a bracha. They say it's not worse than seafarers or those who go through deserts. He says, Ravadi Yosef and Yabi Omer has a major tshuva where he says that you do make a bracha. However, he says, there's no raya from Rav Yosef, he said. That's not really relevant to us because Rav Yosef was a Sfardim. Not because Sfardim don't know how to learn and we shouldn't pay attention to Sfardim. But we said, but Sfardim, as we mentioned earlier, Sfardim have there's a there's a major machlokas uh, between between Sfardim and Ashkenazim based on Rishonim, Rambam and the Rush, based on based on different Rishonim. These four categories of Gomel, 
putting aside the other question of whether this is an exhaustive list or not, there's another major machlokas. When we talk about seafarers, we talk about someone who's sick. How sick do you have to be? How dangerous a sea voyage does it have to be? How dangerous a, a land voyage does it have to be? So the Rambam and the Sfardim follow a very expansive, very, uh, very, very broad view that it doesn't have to be that dangerous. Even if someone is not actually in danger of his life, he's not that sick, he still recites Gomel. Even if someone didn't take a really dangerous trip, he left the city, he traveled outside the city, he benched Gomel. The, the, the Sfardim have a, have, a, have a much more expansive version of Gomel than Ashkenazim do. They follow a, a, a view that once you enter these categories, even if your life wasn't in, in obvious danger, you still recite Gomel. These are all... These are all categories of experience which potentially have some danger, even if your version of it wasn't a very dangerous one. You recite Gomel. Yeah, so the Svardim recite Gomel even from going from city to city. They didn't go through a Midbar, they didn't go through a desert. Rambam just says, Holche Drachim, doesn't say Midbaras. So according to the Rambam and the Svardim, yeah, they say that any, any trip needs Gomel. So an airplane trip is not worse than an intercity trip between one city and the next. But, uh, so for Sfardim, it's, uh, it's less of a Chiddush. But Ashkenazim, we don't follow that. We, we don't follow that. We require there a substantial element of danger. So it's not clear that we would recite Gomel on a plane. He says, they told me the name of the Satmar Rebbe, who was certainly an Ashkenazi, that he, that he did say to, to do Berchsa Gomel on a plane trip. However, he says, the Menchitzvah's correspondent quoted from the Rebbe of Bells. The Rebbe of Bells said, you should make a bracha, make a bracha but without Shemu Malchus. You, that you, should, you, you should recite Gomel, but not with Hashem's name. There is a, there is a, uh, there is a similar tradition cited in the name of, also I think in the name of the, in the name of the of the Belzer Rebbe I saw somewhere else that, well in in in, in the same not not the Belzer Rebbe necessarily but in in the in the Sefer. In the Sefer, Kochva Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak Sternhel, who was a rabbi in Baltimore in the middle of the 20th century, Talmud of the Munkacher. So he brings that he heard, he, he brings that he heard in the, he heard in the name of Reisi, Kama Gedolim at Tzadikim, said, don't make Gomel on, 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 an, on an airplane. He gives, a, he gives an explanation why. So he says, so, so the, the Belzer Rebbe apparently was one of those who said that you, that, that, that you, that you should not recite Gomel on the that you should not recite Gomel on the on an airplane trip. So Michal Yitzchak says, so this is how I'm going to explain the Shita. I'm going to give a reason why you should not say Gomel. He says, not because an airplane is not so dangerous. Ravadia says an airplane again, you have to know, you have, you have to consider what year these various chuvas were written in. Ravadia says an airplane is dangerous. The, there is some danger in air travel. Says says Michal Yitzchak, I'm going to make the opposite argument. It's not because an airplane is not dangerous that you don't recite Gomel. It's because it is dangerous. It's more dangerous than, 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 a, than a ship. So how on earth does that explain why you don't recite Gomel if it's even more dangerous than a ship? A ship you do recite Gomel. Says in Menchaz Yitzchak, it's because of the Svara that we saw in the Machzik Bracha. We, the Svara of, of the Chidah's father, of Rabbi, of Rabbi, I may have called him Rabbi Ramazulai before, that was an ancestor. This is Rabbi, this is Rabbi, this we, this we said was Rabbi Rafal Yitzchak Zrachi Azulai. Because of his svar that, that, that his son the Chida quotes, what's the issue? He says that the uh, Rav Azulai said that 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 you that that you don't recite Gomel on these religious experiences because you voluntarily accept them upon yourself. Now the Chazit apparently understand it's not because it's a religious experience; it's because it's a voluntary experience. The the key the key factor in the Rav Azulai's analysis is that it's voluntary. Lacharitzarek beer. 
as we said before, taking a sea voyage is also voluntary. Holchem Baros is also voluntary. Going in the desert is also voluntary. And yet you do make Gomel. So how is, so how is uh, the spiritual experience, how are they any different from these experiences of choosing to travel the seas or choosing to travel through the deserts? So I don't know if the Menchaz Yitzchok saw the discussion of Machlik Bracha inside. He says that he saw it secondhand. People quoted it to him. In, in the Maxi Bracha, we saw it, he addresses this question. He says, he doesn't explain it very well, but he says that, that people who take sea voyages have no practical choice, that they have to get where they're going, or the, the desert uh, travelers, they have to get where they're going. They don't really have a choice, he says. So the way the Menchaz explains it is, he says, he, he pretty much arrives at the same conclusion. He says that, if a person has to travel an extended distance, and he can't get there without crossing a yam or a midbar, he says, in practice he has to do it. He can stay home, but assuming he has to get where he's going, he says, he has to cross the yam and he has to cross the midbar. On an airplane, says Minchas Yitzchak, who told you to take an airplane trip, he says, you can take a, an, an overland trip, a train, or if you have to cross an ocean, take a ship, he says. They're less dangerous than a plane. I doubt that's true today. I, 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 there's an often quoted statistic that air travel is relatively safe on a per-mile basis, not on a per-trip basis necessarily, but on a per-mile basis. I think they say it's one of the safest forms of transportation on a per-mile basis. But Minchat Yitzchak apparently assumed that for a given trip from point A to point B, air travel was actually less safe than the alternative, less safe than the train or the, or the, or the ship, he says. Unless he says, unless he says you, you have a deadline, you have to get there by a certain time, time in a certain time frame, and the, and, the, and, the, and the ship and the train are not fast enough, he says, okay, putting aside that case, he says, in general, air travel is, you're accepting upon yourself more danger than, than necessary. And, and since you chose that for yourself, he says, that's how he understands as far as Rav Azulai, that's a voluntary danger you've accepted on yourself. Even though it's not so dangerous, it's not considered reckless self-endangerment, which is also a coin talach. He says you're not allowed to recklessly endanger yourself. But since there is a certain element of danger, he says, nevertheless, he says, that's like the case of the Akedah Yitzchak or other cases where a person chose to accept the danger. And therefore we can say the Rabbana were not misakin gomel, they were only misakin gomel on involuntary danger, not on danger a person accepted upon himself. Midaito, he says. And that's why the sheet of the Belzer Rebbe is that's why a person would say Gomel without Shemu Malchus. Now, the Tzitzeliezer points out a number of weaknesses or uh, you know, assumptions, uh, you know, uh, not entirely obvious leaps of logic in the Minchas Yitzchak's analysis. He says, I don't find this very compelling, he says. He says, on the one hand, he says, at the end of the day, the ship and the desert travel is dangerous as well. Minchas Yitzchak says, even the airplane is not so dangerous, uh, you're allowed to do it, it's not Osir, he says, how different are they? So at the end of the day, they both, inv- they both involve some small element of danger. That, so, 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 so where do you draw the line between an airplane and a sea voyage? Is there some absolute number above which it's called reckless? Is it reckless enough that it's not Oster, but you don't say Gomel? Is it just because it's a little bit more, he says? He says, who told you? Who told you that Yarde Hayam is considered normal? This is considered not normal. Mechazitzuk seems to think that, seems to be saying that the, the, the least amount of danger is legitimate. Any additional danger is is more problematic, and you don't say Gomel. Tzitzeliezer doesn't really understand the distinction, he says. He says... Tzitzeliezer mentions that possibility, maybe it's just a question of relative danger, there is no objective line, but he says, who told you, how how are you so sure, like we pointed out before? Who said that the air travel really has more danger? He says, and what about those who don't have to go anywhere? What about those who are taking pleasure trips? 
do they not bench gomel? That uh, that uh, the, the, if you take a ship, the, the Gemara says you, that you bench gomel for a for a sea voyage. Menachem says because you have no choice, you have to go somewhere. What if you don't have to go somewhere? What if you take a luxury cruise? Then you're not going to bench gomel because that was voluntary. He says, is that really true? What about those who have to take a plane? Like Menachem Yitzchak says, on the contrary, what about those who have who have to get there within a certain time and don't have the option of taking a ship? According to you, they will say gomel. The halach is really so. Uh, do they really keep changing based on these criteria? Is it really so? Do we really lack clear and absolute rules? He says. Furthermore, he says this whole idea that uh, that this is called self, self this is called reckless self endangerment. He says many posts can say it's not correct. The posts can say that anything that you're doing at least for business reasons is is normal and acceptable. He brings a variety of posts. This is a doctrine we've explored on many other occasions that the halacha allows people to accept upon themselves certain low levels of risk for the purpose of behaving normally and going about their business. It's actually interesting, because some of the posts can be brings, the Shemarie in particular, explicitly distinguish between a business trip and a pleasure trip. Business trip is okay, because that's a legitimate need to do. Even, even if you have enough money, even if it's just to, for harvacha to make more money, that's considered a legitimate uh, thing to do with your life, so that's mutter to accept upon yourself a certain low level of danger. But just for vacation, he says, you shouldn't take sea voyages just for vacation. There's some element of danger. Rav Cook says something similar. Rav Cook in a letter says that uh, even when there's a chashash rachok, even if there's only a relatively remote chance of sakana, leisure is not a justification. Business is. Parnasa is. Parnasa is called a mitzvah in some context in halacha. So for business, for Parnasa, you're allowed to do it. But, but, but to accept upon yourself unnecessary danger for leisure, even if it's only a chashash rachok, Rav Cook says you shouldn't do that. Not sure what he would have said about skiing or various types of uh, relatively high-risk activities. I'll call upon him, but the Shisaliyazer doesn't get into these distinctions here. He just says, this is not called sakana. This is normally says sea voyages are not viewed in halacha as, as dangerous and risky. And therefore, to argue that you shouldn't say gomel because of some element of danger, that's just not a plausible argument, he says. That uh, these trips are minhagah olam, they're not called maktat sakana. And therefore, this argument, at least, of the Minchas Yitzchak does not hold water, and you, you should certainly bench Gomel with a Shemu Malchus on air travel. Now again, just to return to where we began, the Minchas Yitzchak seems to be understanding the tshuva of the Machzik Bracha as saying that the, that, that, that the tshuva of Rabbi Azulai as, as, as saying that, that, that it's not a question of religious or not religious or secular, it's a question of voluntary or involuntary. Involuntary, it sounds like he didn't see the tshuva inside, but the way he understands it is, Involuntary danger, you say gomel. Sea voyages and desert voyages are considered involuntary because you have no choice. You have to get somewhere, at least if it's business, at least if you have a real need. While uh, being most your nefesh for a kodesh that's voluntary. You have a choice. You don't have to do it. I mean, Hashem wants you to do it, but but but, but you're not forced by, by 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 exigent need to do it, and therefore you don't bench gomel. If you actually read the language in the handout, if you read the language of Rabbi Zulai, it doesn't sound like that's exactly his chilek. It doesn't, some, some of his language does sound like that. He also seems to be emphasizing the idea that it's religious. He says if a person is doing it for religion, either a specific command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or for a general mitzvah to Mikadosh Shem Shemayim, then you don't say gomel, as opposed to if there's no religious element in it. So he really mixes both elements in, whether it's voluntary, involuntary, whether it's religious or not religious. If the chilek is religious or not religious, then the airplane would, would still fall into the non-religious category, and you would bench Gomel. And the Menchus Yitzchak's whole far doesn't start. The Menchus Yitzchak understood the, his letter the other way, that the, that the issue is whether it's, uh, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Menchus Yitzchak felt that choosing air travel, where there are safer and uh, less risky options available, is considered a, a, a slight amount of unnecessary risk, 
it's not enough of a reckless uh, self-endangerment to be usher. It is mutter to take an airplane flight, but, it, but it's, enough, it's, it's enough of a choice, of a voluntary decision, that you're not going to recite Gomer. There was actually an opinion that said that airplane, that felt, again, at least uh, a century ago, or I'm not sure exactly how long ago, there was actually one safer that actually ruled, in his opinion, air travel was flat-out usher because it was reckless self-endangerment. And the safer, Meshav Shalom, of Rabbi, in the, in the, oh, in the safer, in, in the safer Meshav Shalom by Rabbi Shalom Feigenbaum, he actually, he actually says, in his opinion, air travel was flat-out usher. For a Jew, even during the week, he was asked about starting a flight on Erev Shabbos, flying into Shabbos. He was asked this actually in Tough Reish Peches, in 1927, uh, 28, I think it was Parshish uh, Kisavo, 20, 27 or 28, the early days of air travel. He says, it's Osir, it violates Vnishmartim Lenafshasechem, Shchiach Hezeka, it's more dangerous than ships and, and than steam engines, he says. It's Meisim Bechal Yom, that these people are in danger. It's Osir, that Terem are not justified. He felt air travel was flat out Osir. Now there is, in, in, in the Sefer, in, in Rabbi Sternhell's Sefer, in the, in, in the Koch Ve'ar, he, uh, he says that, well, air travel has gotten much safer since then, he says. He says that, he says that the, he says that, that the air travel today, he says, is, he brings the earlier post, that you're allowed to accept a certain amount of danger, it's not Osir. But then he says that the, he, he, he mentions this Chuvah Rabbi Feigenbaum. He says that even according to him, depends why you're going. Even if there is considered dangerous, is that to, to accept danger for the purpose of Parnassi, he says, or for Mitzvah? Mitzvah for sure, even Parnassi, he says, good. But anyway, he says that the, but, but even, also, but even according to him, he says that, he says that the MS, Achshur Dara, the technology has improved. Air travel is not so dangerous, he says. Shomer Psalm Hashem, it's, it's so widespread, it falls under the dispensation that Hashem takes care of the Psalm, the fools, or the innocent, he says. And therefore, he says, and that's why, he says, that people don't, don't say Gomel. And, 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 but he, he also comes to a position similar to the Menchaz Yitzchak, that since there is some element of danger, he says, that the, since there is some element of danger, he says, that therefore, even, even though it's not as dangerous as it used to be, but since there is some element of danger, he says, that that's why we can justify those opinions who say that, that who say that, that we don't recite Gomel with a Shemu Malchus.